0: All right? Yeah, sure. In fact, what I want you to do is, for no other reason, come back next week because you're going to figure out and see what actually happens to, to Deb and Ray as they try and figure out how to deal with different challenging people in their lives. So, we've got this two-week series on making relationships work. It is as simple, is it not, as A, B and D. And uh, what I also have here is um, some props here with me to help out this morning because uh, we need them. <laughs> um, and I'm likening us to buckets. In fact, I'm titling today "Leaking Buckets," and it'll make sense in a little while. So I hope you're not offended. That uh, everyone here today think about yourselves as being a bucket. Now, there's all different kinds of coloured buckets. There's all different shapes and sizes buckets. They function in slightly different ways. They have different substances in them, and all that. So, if you are not offended this morning, think about yourself as being a bucket. That's number two. Number three is, um, you're probably asking the question is, why are we talking about relationships uh, now? Why are we talking about making relationships work? Well, the obvious answer is relationships are hard. Has anyone discovered that relationships can be a little bit hard? They're hard. Um, I I can say they're hard because uh, they impact you all the time. In fact, since Easter time, Um, Just think about all the different relationships that you might have come into contact with and which ones were kind of a bit clunky and were hard work. You're probably thinking about them right now. If you're there this morning and thinking, I don't have any relationships in my life that were hard work since Easter time then uh, could you come on up here, because we'd like to interview you (laughs) this morning. In fact, the reason why we're talking about this uh, is not just because of you, but because of me. I have to be honest, because of me as well. You see, my wife um, went on a trip to uh, base camp uh, with some of her besties. Um, She was gone for about three years, (laughs) and she left uh, myself and our kids to fend for ourselves, And uh, when she got back after three years, um, about two weeks ago, um, having the best time and trip of her life, uh, you know, one of those bucket list things, bucket, um, she um, came back and she was actually sick and she was coughing. I didn't realise there's so much dust in Kathmandu and it's dry climate and so she came back with this really bad cough. Uh, So much so that when she got home on the first night, she was kind of coughing so much that my daughter uh, decided to call Nurse Online. And uh, she mentioned two things you should never mention to nurse online, yeah? The first one is tightness of chest, <laughs> and the second one was Everest. So when you combine those two, no wonder four paramedics turned up on our doorstep at 12 o'clock that night, and they whisked her away. She was gone for the night, coughing gone. And, um, and then the next day, we actually picked her up, and we, we brought her back home. And it was that evening with um, all, all these different things in my mind. We're looking forward to coming, having her come back. She had a great time, but she came back. She, she was crook. And so that, that night, um, uh, she was lying down and she started to get up and walk around and I noticed the coughing came back. Yeah, the coughing just started again. And so me, being the, the kind-hearted man that I, that I am, um, I actually turned to her and I said, hey, um, honey, honey, did I say honey? Something um, I said, honey, um, why don't you why don't you just look? Why don't you just go to bed and rest it off? Because you know you're coughing a lot, and it's probably going to be best if you just rest and get better. Yeah, that, that was honest to God. That was my my intention from the heart, from the heart. Yeah, uh, but she heard something different. You know, <laughs> just in that five meter space, she heard something really different, and and her response to me was this. And I understand it now. Um, she said, "My friend Viv." has put up with my cough for 3 years since we've been away at base camp and not once did she mention the cough. <laughs> and I come back for one day here with you and you can't stand with me in the cough for one you know a few short hours, you know, right? You saw, it went south really quickly, didn't it? Just just there, yeah. And, and and I found myself going actually no, I didn't mean that at all. I mean, guys, you get me, don't you? Right? Is anyone, you get me, and I'm like, I didn't mean that at all, I just meant you're know, you coughing a lot, you probably need a rest so you can get better, and she took, um, relationships are hard work, aren't they? And and what we find is that the the relationships in our lives that sometimes are the closest ones can be the most hard work, because what I discover is that with enough time and proximity, um, we kind of get to see our buckets with clarity of vision, can't we? In fact, if there's, there's one thing that I've discovered about this whole relationship stuff, is and it's going to sound really obvious to us all, um, that just being one example of, of many, whether it's with work colleagues, whether it's with school friends, or whether it was, it, it, it's this, it, it's this. To make relationships work, we need to make them work. You see, we live in this myth, this, this ideology in Australian culture right now that pretty much says, once I've found the best person for my team, once I've found the colleague with all the right skills, once I've found the bestie, once I've, I've found the perfect Mr. and Mrs. Right, um, then everything will go well. And in fact, if it's not going well and we have to put in some hard work, then it must be wrong. And so we need to sort of change it up and get something new because we need to find the perfect situation. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? And so, what we discover, though, is that pretty much with any relationship we have, that the more time you spend and the closer proximity, what you soon discover is that to make relationships work, we need to make them work. They just don't happen. That's why, when I'm preparing couples for for marriage stuff, I, I say to them, you know, um, uh, so h- how is your arguing going? And, and I just want to figure out that. Have you got the, the resources and the capacities to actually figure out your differences? Because to make relationships work, you need to make them work. They don't just happen. I hope you're following me here this morning because they don't just happen. In fact, what I discover is that given we're all a little bit like buckets, the closer and enough time we spend to other people, we soon discover, that. And I'm just going to get something from down here, two of these things, what we d- discover, that... Uh, pretty much after enough time and proximity, we realize that the other person has, well, they have holes, they have problems, they have leaks and faults and issues. And the closer we are to people, the, and the, the more time we spend with them, we, we see them, don't we? Yeah? Yeah. We see all of the faults and the problems. I mean, it might be for some, it's so you've got some daddy issues, or you've got some mummy issues, or you've got some school issues, or, and, and we see them, and someone's got an annoying habit, they might snore, or they, 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 they might forget stuff, or they, and, and it just goes on and on, and we can see it, can't we? We can, can't we? It's obvious to everyone. And, and so at this stage, in any relationship, if we figure that that's what's going on, we can adopt kind of two different attitudes. We can adopt uh, Raymond or Deb's attitude. We can either ignore those things at this stage, or we can threaten. <laughs> now tell me here, has anyone really resolved issues in making relationships work by these two strategies? Just ignore it, or threaten The threatening gets things done quick, yeah, the immediate, but you don't really change the heart. In fact, sometimes if you try those two strategies and nothing works, it's as though you might as well just go, gobble, 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 That actually might be better than the other two strategies, yeah, because threatening and ignoring those things doesn't often resolve the issues. And then once we discover, and and guys are particularly good at this, is that, when we discover that ignoring and threatening doesn't actually work, we, we tip over into the final option that we have. And, and that's the obvious one, isn't it? We turn into fix-it mode, yeah? And we turn into fix-it mode, and, and we state the bleeding obvious. We say, uh, colleague, uh, sporting team member, uh, bestie, uh, husband, wife, uh, you got a problem, <laughs> Like like you have a problem, like like you're broke, <laughs> it, and, and and you need you need a, you need to just fix it, don't you? You just need to fix that problem. Has anyone been told here that they need to fix a problem? And how, how do we normally respond when someone just you know just you've got a problem and you've got an issue and you just need to fix it? How do, how do we normally respond? Oh yeah, I'm just so thrilled. You, t- you pointed that out to me. I- I'm so glad. Um, uh, in fact, usually what happens in, in that moment when you start doing stuff like that is that they bring up other stuff. Have you noticed this? Yeah, yeah. They, they go, well, you think my problem's bad? You reckon my family's bad? Let me tell you about your family. Yeah? Your family, There's firstly, there's loads of them. <laughs> And, and, and their food they cook, and the, the, the way in which the, the brothers and sisters relate to one another. You reckon our workspace is bad? Look, I've heard rumors about your workspace, and it is, it is really, it is bad, you know. And, and so we just point that out, and it just happens so naturally, does it not? Wow. You see, what I discover is to make relationships work, and it's, it's quiet here at the moment, because we're thinking, is that we need to make relationships Work and it 's hard work at times. I wonder if that 's why Jesus, in his greatest talk he gave on, called the Sermon on the Mount, he gave this incredible talk about insight to life and who God is and what his kingdom and his life is like. Uh, he names uh, in the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew, he names three spiritual practices he goes. Uh, first spiritual practice I want to talk about is is almsgiving, being generous. And then I want to talk about prayer, that's communication with God. Then I want to talk about fasting, that's going without food, uh, to remember, mourn the past and also to hope for the future. And then he says, he names a fourth spiritual practice that comes as easy to us as, as breathing. He names this fourth spiritual practice. And uh, he actually says it like this. He says... Um, going to go back. Don't judge people and you won't be judged yourself. You'll be judged, you see, by the judgment you use to judge others. You'll be measured by the measuring rod you use to measure others. Now, let's just pause here for a moment because what Jesus was not saying here, like some people have supposed he's saying, is that uh, you're not allowed to divide between wrong and right. Uh, I mean, if that was the case, then the whole talk before that wouldn't make any sense because he talks about, I want you to be people who hunger and thirst for what is right, and, and I want you to be merciful and kind. I mean, if, if that was the way he watched to interpret it, that would just sort of eradicate all of those words. But a week after Easter, we also remember that the, the, the defining moment for Jesus that caused all of the different groups to really rally and, and see him killed and crucified was the moment he went into the, the temple in Jerusalem, and he turned the tables upside down, and he kind of symbolically shut it down for a moment. And in so doing, rendering it sort of judged by God. This is a corrupt temple, and, and it is judged. And so, at that moment, everyone rallied, and if you like, they crucified Jesus. But that was the tipping point. And so, Jesus is not talking here about—he's not talking here about dividing between wrong and right. He's actually defining something else, which comes naturally to us. So naturally, it's like breathing. It's—it's it's an attitude, and it's a condemning. Criticizing, fault finding spirit. That's the kind of condemning he's talking about. He says that kind of thing left unchecked as a spiritual practice in your life can actually eat relationships for breakfast. In fact, let's go back up one because uh, there's a gentleman by the name of. Uh, John Gottman, he's a uh, university lecturer at uh, I think Washington University,' is a relationships expert, and he, see, he names four behaviors that are just critical for making relationships really clunky and hard work. In fact, it destroys them. He says the first one is this, is when people in any relationship begin to zone out. You, you know what I mean by zone out? It's someone's talking to you and you just zone out. <laughs> you just disengage. I'm not interested. Or, or it's, this is the next one, is that someone in the relationship, whether it be in a sporting team, whether it be a work colleague or students or relationship at home, it's a, they become defensive. As soon as you raise anything, it's just, this is the wall of defensiveness. Yeah? So the third one, he says, is criticism. He says there's someone who's always fault-finding and, and always pointing out someone's, someone's faults and their issues and their their licking buckets. He says so the last one, which is absolute, it's toxic to any relationship, he says this, he says it's contempt. He says that, that first, that fourth one, it's, it's like a mix of anger and resentment. This is when you kind of roll your eyes as they're talking again. And, and he names these four and he says the reason, I was, I was fascinated to discover that the reason why these are so toxic in, in making relationships work. He says it's because of the principle that underlies all of them. And he says usually someone in any kind of relationship that has adopted these habits is that they reach a stage where they truly believe that they are superior to the other person around them. And they truly believe deep down on the inside when you push them a little bit is that they're better, they're smarter, they're more sensitive than you. And that's why they don't value your opinion is because they've, they zone out, they become defensive when you talk about their they criticize, they always are ready to find, and they just reach a level of being in contempt. Those are now. Is this connecting with anyone. So when it reaches that level, you've got to do some backtracking very quickly. And it's because the other person thinks that they are better than the other or the others around them. So let's jump forward here. Jesus says that kind of critical condemning spirit is, is like toxic. He says, and if you notice, the people that actually apply that all around and they're really easy to find, like Marie, find faults in Deb, and, is because what happens in life is that the, the way in which you judge others, it actually gets measured out to you. Other people begin to critique you in the same way. Not just the people around you, but in, in a bigger sense, maybe God Himself. You'll be measured by the same measure that you give to others. So what does Jesus do? He pushes to the next level and he starts to give some advice. He says, why do you stare at the splinter in your neighbor's eye but ignore the plank in your own? How can you say to your neighbor, here, let me get that splinter out of your own eye when you've got a plank in your own? I love this imagery. Is Jesus talking about a specific person? Probably not. Uh, but he describes this scenario where someone else is the fault finder and they always do the picking and you've got this, you've got that, and I can see it so clearly no one else can and I'm, I'm all good, I'm all right. He says, actually, it's as though you've got a plank in your own, like a, ba- a rafter, a beam that's sticking out of your own. And, and there you are wanting to point out the, the inconsistency of someone else's issue um, like it's a splinter. Now, let's pause here for a moment. It's not as though this person doesn't have a splinter, that don't maybe have a fault, but he says the one fault that this kind of person has is that they walk around with like a beam in their eye And and that is an attitude that likes to fault, find, condemn, and criticize others. Like, that is the plank, the attitude. Because when you actually have that attitude, it's so easy for you to see the splinters in other people's eyes, but you are absolutely blind to your own. In driving, we have this term called blind spot. You know what I mean? Talking about a blind spot. Just yesterday, I was driving one of our kids to the sporting uh, and I was on the uh, the Eastern and I put my indicator on and I began to probably drift, but no, I think it's a bit more decisive than I drift. And then I looked in my side view mirror and I discovered that there was a, a car there that I just completely didn't see. And and so I, I pulled back in again and I'm muttering under my breath I didn't see it. And the person with me in the car said, Well, what's going on? I said, Well, so I, I've got this peripheral vision here, and I can see to about there. But on your side view mirror, I can see back further. But there's this one spot right here that you can't see, and it's called a blind spot. And it's called a blind spot because you can't see it. <laughs> so this week I was I was uh, reflecting on this, and I went, oh, "I wonder what, I wonder what my blind spots are." <laughs> Isn't that good? You're hunting for something that by definition you can't actually see. Um, <clears throat> and, and so I thought this morning as a good exercise for me, if you could take your white card. And, because the, the blind spot, uh, you can't see, but the truth about a blind spot is... Everyone else can. So if you can take a white card this morning, and what I want you to do is just pause for a minute. I want you to write down some blind spots that you probably see in me that I don't see in myself, and I want you to just feed them in through the letterbox there, and I'm just going to reflect on that over the week and feel great about it. Wonderful. Uh, It'll be really good. But they're called blind spots because they're blind. You see, Jesus goes on and he presses it a little bit further. He says, hypocrite. Why do you stare at the splinter in your neighbor's eye but ignore the plank in your own? How can you say to your neighbor, here, let me get that splinter out of your own eye when you've got a plank in your own? You see, the marvelous thing about blind spots is that nobody, sorry, you can't see them, but everyone else can. And what we discover if we pause for a moment and apply this simple, profound teaching of Jesus What we soon discover is that when we begin to look at our own buckets, we realize we leak as well. We've got faults as well. We've got issues as well. And the person who decides to actually go ahead and take this seriously, what Jesus says, will find themselves entering into a new dynamic and a new zone, if you like, in their relationships with other people. Because they'll be discovering maybe for the first time in their lives, if they actually pause for a moment and begin to wonder, wait a second, have I got stuff that I need to deal with? Is it just through going through that process themselves, they'll discover and find a new empathy? Empathy? They will discover that it's not as easy to point fingers at other people when we've got faults of our own. And if you like, they'll enter into a new kind of dynamic in their own understanding of themselves because they will be, if you like, far more aware of their own things. So they'll be less inclined to point their finger at someone else when they've got it wrong. Now, you'd be saying to me, Troy, but what if they have got it wrong? (laughs) That's next week. (laughs) But this week, I wonder, how are your buckets going? And how are the relationships going around you? Are you needing to make them work? Because they require effort. And if someone journeys with God and opens up their heart and says, God, would you help me understand my own bucket? What I discover is that it opens up a new space for us to be able to see ourselves in a fresh way that will then be able to, if you like, see other splinters in others. And when you do, you'll be less inclined to rush to them and point it out because you'll be realizing that, wait a second, as soon as I point my finger at someone else, Really? Truly? Unless I've come to terms with the three that are pointing back to me, am I a hypocrite? Am I blind? And it kind of levels things, doesn't it? I wonder if that's why Jesus goes on and he says this, don't give holy things to dogs. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they'll trample them under their feet and then turn around and attack you. Now, dogs and pigs were representative in that culture back then of Gentiles, non-Jewish people. But I don't think Jesus is saying this to be derogatory. It would just make no sense of what he's just said beforehand if he was to have this critical judgmental attitude. But what I think he is saying in using a proverbial, a sort of a wisdom statement... He's saying, you know what, you might have discovered today this great thing that you've found at NCR. They're talking about ma- making relationships work. And, and here I am at home, in the, or maybe in, I'm in the workplace, and I've just discovered this awesome thing. You know, we we'll are talking about our own buckets, and we've all got leaks in them. And I've got leaks in them, and you've, you've got faults in yours. And, and if you just apply this stuff to your life, it'll be so much better for you. And it'll just sound like patronizing, superficial, gobble, gobble, gobble. Be careful. Because if you go and start spreading that kind of attitude around, you'll get bitten. (laughs) You'll get trampled on. Best if we start with you and me. Mark's going to come up in a moment. I just want to create some time to reflect here this morning. You see, what we have are some profound words of Jesus for us to reflect upon in making relationships work. And to make them work, we need to make them work. And it starts with me. See, someone who follows Jesus, I'm just going to go down another level now, is involved in a spiritual community. Maybe you call yourself a Jesus follower. You will live with these two profound pillars that guide the community here, and it tips over into other spaces. You see, when someone comes to know Jesus, because of what I've done on the cross for us, he actually says this about you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. That means that Jesus, from his heavenly throne, he actually looks down and sees the faults, the issues, the problems, the mummy issues, the daddy issues, the relational issues. He names and sees them all from where he sits, he goes, I paid that price, I don't condemn. So in turn, those people who have discovered that, they learn to set aside this judgmental, critical, condemning kind of spirit. And they apply this one. Therefore, if there's no condemnation of you because your faults, your issues, your problems have been resolved on the cross there, and they're being resolved... But if Jesus doesn't look at you with a hard, judgmental, critical heart, spirit, then go ahead and do the same. If it's meant anything to you, accept one another, just as Christ also accepts you. You see, what I've discovered in relationships, and I've observed older people, younger people, teams, the ones that have hung in there over time, I discover that somehow they've moved past the condemning and they kind of just move into these places of acceptance of your faults, your issues, your problems, your leaks, your cracks. They do that. They've discovered a way to actually just make room and accept just for who you are. Doesn't mean you don't ever change. That's a wonderful space. So I'm going to leave you with this question, just as Mark quietly plays for a few moments. To make relationships work, we need to make them work by first working on ourselves. Is it possible that you might have some holes in your bucket today? As Mark quietly plays, I wonder if you might whisper one prayer and whisper it for the whole week. So when you come back next week, you'll be in a different place. Lord, would you just show me mine? It's much better hearing it from him than from the other.